Welcome to Brave. Be inspired by the best leaders of Southeast Asia tech. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. I'm Jeremy Ao, a VC founder and father. Join us for transcripts, analysis, and community at www.jeremyao.com. Hi, really excited to have you on the show. Uh, I think you're a tremendous founder building something that's really important for the region. I'd love for you to introduce yourself in a minute. All right, sure. So, hi, Jeremy, and thanks for inviting me onto the show. My name is Yu Ying. I'm the founder and CEO of Acevel. So, Acevel is a full-stack IT platform where we help companies with distributed teams manage their people, their devices, their applications across eight countries in the Asia-Pacific. So, we basically do the grunt work that many people in companies do not want to do which is that of on and offboarding your employees in another country, getting their laptops repaired, getting laptops set up for them and redeploying this to somebody new and managing the applications as well. And we do this in a way that's really cost efficient, flexible and provides a great employee experience. Amazing. And obviously you have had a really interesting resume and track record. <laughs> we'll start from the beginning a little bit. It's like, how did you first start becoming entrepreneurial? Yeah, so it was a really long route for me. I would say that my parents are my inspiration. They are both entrepreneurs themselves. They started a nursing home chain in Singapore in the 1990s. And this was because my grandmother had dementia at the point in time and they just couldn't find a good nursing home for her. So I was with them. I was a brooding teenager back in the 1990s, but I saw how they built the business up from a ramshackle like uh, army barracks in Changi to a chain of like uh, seven private nursing homes here in Singapore and Malaysia. So I used to accompany my mom to the Institute of Mental Health. So I'm very familiar with that hospital where I would wait for her while she made sales calls to the nurses. So I saw what it took to actually build a business up from scratch and it really inspired me to build my own business. I didn't really have a timeline in mind. So I went into corporate law. I was a corporate lawyer doing IPOs, M&As. I was at Baker McKinsey. Had the privilege of working in Hong Kong, Shanghai, and London as well. And then what happened was that in the 2008 financial crisis, the firm did three rounds of layoff. I didn't agree with the way that long-time employees were being treated. So I decided the law wasn't for me. Applied to B-School at INSEAD, and I was fortunate that I actually got in. After B-School, I actually joined my parents in their nursing home business, and it was a very critical point in time for them. A large shareholder in the company wanted to buy out minority shareholders at an undervalue. My parents had a very strong ethical principle, and they didn't agree with this, even though they could have benefited. So long story short, it was basically two years of legal battle and finding a seller, finding a buyer, sorry, for the business. And we eventually got it sold to a PE fund at a very fair valuation for everyone. So... I had the battle scars by that point in time, and I felt that time was right for me to set out and do my own business. Amazing. And you said that your parents are entrepreneurial, you were inspired by them, and then you became a lawyer. So how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> Simple answer, math, mathematics. I just wasn't doing very well in that, and I had this like, misconception, I must say, at a point in time that business was all about like adding and making sure that sums actually make sense and so on. So I decided to go into my strong suite, which was like languages, and decided to become a lawyer. And also I wanted to explore Hong Kong and China as well. 
it was an area that really excited me. But I went to B school and I had to do corporate finance. So the math part is now up to scratch. Yeah, amazing. And I think a lot of folks, they've seen their parents or relatives be in business. I'm so curious, what did you take away watching your parents run a business? Were you like, I will never do it the way they are doing it? (laughs) (laughs) Or were you like, these are things I admire and respect about them? What did you take away from watching them? Okay, I think the biggest thing that I took away was that building a business is actually a marathon. It is not a sprint by any measure. They took 20 years to actually build the business up to a point where it could be considered successful, very sustainable business, such that a PE fund would want to buy it. I could just see that it took a lot of effort and the effort cannot be underestimated because at any point in time, you could encounter an obstacle. You just had to find a way forward no matter what you face. And that was what really came home to me from looking at my parents do their business. And what's interesting is that you did what every filial child is supposed to do that has a family business, (laughs) which is go out, wander the wilderness for a bit, go explore your lore or some other geography and then come back and help out with the family business. And I think actually hear that quite often. I think there's a lot of folks who feel beholden to some extent a family business or some family obligation. So how was it like, I guess going back in, did you have to negotiate? I assume you did have to tell them what time you're coming home and all those things. <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure there's that division of being like a relative as well as being someone who is a business operator that's helping. So how do you define that? Or do you have any advice of folks who are in that situation? Yeah, I must say it's not easy. It's not easy at all. And if you speak to any second gen who have gone into business with their parents, they would tell you it's not a piece of cake. My parents tried their best to have a division between work and family life. And to a large extent, that was quite successful. As to why I actually went in to help them, I think part of it was also because of my skill set. So at the point, as I mentioned, they were facing this critical juncture where there were legal troubles. They were trying to sell the business as well. I mean, litigation in the sense that we're trying to get the business sold. So I had experience in the law firm. And I also wanted to build up my experience in business as well. So it was like the perfect opportunity for me to come in and help them. Any advice for people to actually have that happy outcome you just talked about of having that division? Is there any cheat codes or words (laughs) or language or framing that you use to get there? Hmm. Try as much as possible, I think, to ask your parents what kind of outcome they would like out of your participation in the business. I think that it is very similar probably to starting a business with a co-founder. Like the vision has to be the same. The outcomes that you want has to be the same. And that should probably also be a kind of rule book for people to follow whenever disputes happen. That should make for a good outcome for any family business. And what's interesting is that you wrapped up with helping them close the transaction and all these other things. And then you moved on to begin your own entrepreneurial journey, as well as to later on do that MBA of yours. So can you share more about why you decided to do your own thing first? And then we'll talk about the MBA later. I actually did my MBA before I went into the family business. So I did my MBA before I went into my family business, and then I did my own thing after the family business. So why do the MBA? So the reality about an MBA is that 
it's really about not just the knowledge that it gave you, although that was very useful for me because I came entirely from the legal sector, had no experience whatsoever in finance or like the faintest idea of what it would take to actually build up something big and successful. But it's also the network of people that you're with as well and the kind of exposure that you get. So that was extremely helpful for me. Even to this date, I'm still in very close touch with a lot of my classmates from INSEAD. And they have been extremely helpful, both in providing advice as well as their network, which has really helped me in my business and in my own learnings and journey. What's one thing you don't get from an INSEAD MBA? (laughs) Because (laughs) MBA will solve everything for me. It'll make me an amazing person. It'll make, I don't know, it'll transform my life. It'll transform my business career. Yeah. Is that, who shouldn't do an MBA? Why shouldn't you do an MBA? I think if you're very certain as to what you want to do, there is really no need for you to do an MBA. You're better off investing that tuition money in that thing that you actually want to do instead. That's a much better use of your resources. I think an MBA is useful for people who are still discovering about themselves or for people who do not come from a kind of like traditional finance or business kind of background and who wants to get their feet wet before they actually plunge themselves into it. I see. So law, and you discover yourself that you want to help out your family business. And then after that, use that to kind of like start your own entrepreneurial journey from there. You went off to build this company, Altizen, which was your first independent venture. And obviously, that's his own chapter. Could you share a little bit more about that chapter of your journey? Yeah, sure. So Altizen was a business and we were doing IoT furniture at a point in time. In the first few years, business was moderately successful. We were selling across a couple of countries, about five countries in Asia. We were selling into companies like Disney, DHL, Micron, and even like some of the ministers are using our products. So I'm quite proud of that, actually. The business never became very positively cash flow generative. And uh, COVID basically destroyed what the business was because our factory was in China. So there was a lockdown in China. We could no longer manufacture the products, even though there were orders for it. And our shipping rates basically tripled overnight because of the supply chain issues. So we just couldn't make the business viable anymore. And that was why I decided to shut it down. When I shut down the business on the day that I actually did so, I took out Evernote. I listed down all the mistakes that I had made in the business itself and what I would never do again if I were going to start a new business. It was a very, very painful thing to have to do. I cried. I was depressed for days. It really helped me to close a chapter and to start anew again. I think if I had not done that, like uh, it would have dragged on in me, if you know what I mean. I think that there were many things that I had learned and I applied those learnings uh, to the new business as well. And I think this has helped me to avoid many of the mistakes that I made in the first company. What was on that list of things not to do? What are you comfortable sharing? All right, so there were two big things which I really applied to SFL. The first is to be really, really close with your customers. You have to really listen to what they want. You have to be on the ground with them. And by listening, it just doesn't mean what they're saying, but it's also what they're not saying as well. So you have to empathize with them, understand their pain points, and develop a solution and get their buy-in to that. So I'm very proud to say that for SFL, before even writing a single line of code, we actually had very intense customer development calls with 20 to 30 customers who were extremely kind with their time with me. What do they wish they had? Like if there was a solution like that, I was really listening. 
So I would credit them really with like 80% of what the platform looks like today. It was really due to them that SFL is where it currently is. The second lesson that I learned from my first company is that it's very important to know what to focus on at the right point in time. There are many things that an entrepreneur can focus on. So we all know of entrepreneurs who are on like the speaking circuit trip or who are like LinkedIn thought leaders or who spend a lot of time minting NFTs or something like that. But the point is that you only have limited time in a day to do something. You only have a limited runway and you have limited funds to do something. So what is that right thing that you should be focusing on to bring your company to the next level? So that is a question that I ask myself actually every single morning before I actually start work. And then I reinforce my thinking by speaking to people who are smarter than myself to make sure that I have really gotten it. And then I focus on that to the exclusion of other things. Yeah. So th those are the two lessons for me. I mean, there are many other lessons as well, Jeremy. If you bribe me with lunch one day, I might share my Evernote with you. We should trade notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time you wrap up a company, successful or unsuccessful, I think there's a, always a grieving process, I think, uh, in that part because, you know, so much of your identity, so much of your time. So much of your time, yeah, so much of your money, so much of yourself invested in that. As you did all that, you made a decision to build another company. It wasn't intentional. <laughs> it was intentional enough to keep going. Oops, I accidentally founded a company, built it, scaled it, and fundraised for it, and built a team and got customers. Oops. So tell me more, like... You went through this process, you didn't feel like you performed to your expectations, and you put all these learnings, and then you were like, I'm going to do it again. So why? It was purely through my customers, I think, that it came about. Because uh, we had various customers at a point in time, and they were sharing their pain points with me. Basically, when COVID started, so SFL actually started on the same day as lockdown in Singapore. So this was back in April 2020. At a point in time, we, we were thinking what we could do like around the company. And what I was thinking was that I had a background in like uh, corporate real estate. I had a background in furniture and IoT furniture and so on. And so I started to seek, okay, could I subscribe out like some of the furnitures that I bring in from China? And so we started that. We got pretty good customers. But then what happened was that the customers like started buying out their furniture after a couple of months. And I thought, that doesn't make sense. I'm basically a BNPL, buy now, pay later business. What happened was that I started talking to my customers and I was hearing a lot of pain points from them. They were telling me, instead of like tables and chairs, can you help us get laptops in Vietnam? Can you help us get laptops in Indonesia and India? And I wanted to find out more, like why are you having problems getting a laptop? I was thinking from the point of view of someone who has lived only in cities, that it would be quite easy to get one from the Apple store or to order one from apple.com. And they were telling me that we actually want to set up the laptops for our people. So we've been trying to ship them out of Singapore or we have problems getting our credit cards to pay for Vietnamese laptops and so on. And that was when I really discovered that there was this huge pain point for companies that are distributed in APEC, of which there are actually many, in trying to get IT devices to their people and trying to get IT devices set up for them and in trying to help their people be productive with those IT devices. That was when I realized that there was an opportunity over here. But more than that as well, that was also when I started to realize that there was actually a bit of a social angle behind what we were doing. Because I started to realize when remote work started taking off, distributed work started taking off, that actually there were talented people 
everywhere in the Asia Pacific. There were talented people in Pakistan, there were talented people in India. So there was talent everywhere, but opportunities were not. So I wanted to be part of that movement to really help good jobs go to people in places that employers may not automatically think of to hire from, like Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, Cambodia, and so on. And that was really a mission that resounded with me. That was why we decided to bring SFL forward. But with IT support and IT services as our angle instead. With that experience, do you feel wiser now the second time around because you built it a second time? Or do you feel like that different challenges have come up because it's a different, in some ways, category, but also a different approach that you have and life phase? How do you think about that? That's an interesting question. So in my list of 20 plus mistakes that I have made, I'm certainly not repeating those again, but I have been making new mistakes. And I think that the day that we stop making mistakes and the day that we stop learning from our mistakes is probably the day that we're dead. Definitely, I have been making new mistakes. I've been learning from it. But I've also been a lot more comfortable with the fact that that is going to happen. And that is what I realized about business. There has to be a certain comfort level with ambiguity, with a certain level of chaos. And then the question is, how do you then react to that and react quickly to that with guiding principles in mind? That's how I have reconfigured my approach towards like making mistakes and learning from them. With that said, your hobby now is spending time with three children as well. I think a lot of founders who are also parents really kind of like struggle with that. So do you have any advice for folks on how to be thoughtful about that balance or that approach? Yeah, so like you, my kids are pretty young. They are three, five, and 10 respectively. You will never be able to find balance. And I think that that is just something that entrepreneurs have to be comfortable with. I think that there's a right time for everything. So there are certain points in time where they may need more attention, you give it to them. There are certain points of time that the business needs more attention and you give it to the business. You just do your best, the best you can, and you just get through every day. And I think the thing with my kids is just that I have boiled it down to certain basic things that I, outcomes that I want for them and from them. Those are outcomes which are very important to me which may not be the same for every parent. For example, I do not require of my kids that they get like grade A's all the time. And I certainly do not put in effort into tutoring my kids to make sure that they get grade A's. So that's how I get my time back. But what I do require of them is that I do require that they learn how to fail, that they have grit, that they dare to ask for things that they think that they should deserve. And I try to build those characteristics into them instead. Basically, that frees up my time. I do spend a lot of time with them on weekends and in the evenings, but it also frees up my time as well and mental space to actually focus on my work. And what's interesting is that you shared at the first part of this episode sharing about how what you learned from your parents watching them be entrepreneurial. <laughs> and now you have children who are looking at you being entrepreneurial. So how do you think you're faring right now? As uh... Not great. I mean, I, I, just to share with you, a couple of months ago, my 10-year-old came up to me and she said, Mommy, when I grow up, I have decided that I want to be a housewife. And I'm like, why is she saying that? Here I am, hardworking entrepreneur. Why does my daughter want to do something different? 
maybe she can aspire to be a teacher or something instead. Although housewife is like a pretty difficult and good profession as well. So I was like, okay, what, what am I doing that may not be providing her with an example? And so I asked her why. Why not be an entrepreneur, maybe be a professional? And she said, well, mommy, if I become a housewife, I can pay attention to my children when they ask me questions. And that was when I realized that she was making a snide remark about me, ignoring her when I'm on a conference call dealing with my work and she's trying to ask me some questions about math or science on the side. So I wouldn't say that I've been faring extremely well as a mother, (laughs) but I'm willing to let that slide. So I think like when you're balancing business and children at the same time, you have to be able to let certain things slide at certain points in time. Man, there's like a, I don't know, like a, X-wing dropping a torpedo yes. to the Death Star, like from, kind of from the side. <laughs> from the side, it's just like I did. You know, I got burned at work today, and then I get burned at home. But as a kid, did you feel like your parents were not giving you the space or time? I did. I did actually. I did. My mom, she went from being a housewife to being a co-founder of my father. And I remember asking her, like, mom, why aren't you able to fetch me home from school? Why are you spending so much time in the office? Why do you have to go into the office on the weekends? Yeah, she would just say, because <clears throat> it's required of me. And that's something that all entrepreneurs do. You, you do what's required of you at that point in time. So I, I went through the same experience as a child as well. So, you know, I think there's a lot of truth there. Intergenerational transmission of knowledge and role modeling. And I think it's interesting to hear how you're channeling some of that decisions in your own career as a parent. Could you share with us about a time that you have been brave? I was thinking about this question because I I knew that it would come up. And I would say that the bravest thing that I did goes back to what I said just now, which was that on the day that I realized that my first startup was not going to work out, I actually sat down and forced myself to write out with full honesty and frankness the mistakes that I had made. And it made me feel terrible. It was, I have done like crazy stuff before. I have like dived with like great white sharks, did various other kind of like crazy things, but nothing compared to the pain that I felt when I actually had to write down these critical self-reflections of the mistakes that I made, the opportunities that I missed, the time and money that I had spent doing all these things. So that was the bravest thing that I have done, but it paid itself over many fold as well because I realized that I learned from the mistakes and I realized that I would never repeat it again. I may make new mistakes, but I definitely will not repeat the mistakes that I made for the first company. That doesn't sound common. Clear-eyed look at failure, sitting down, reflecting. I would like to believe that every founder who's failed and founders are doing that sort of reflection or recap doesn't feel like a common behavior to me for some reason. Yeah, I don't know whether it's common, but for me, I think it's about, I felt that I could only move forward if I owned the mistakes. I could only really grow if I owned the mistakes that I made and I acknowledged that these were due to decisions that I had made at that point in time. So it was more for myself rather than anyone else. What tips do you have for founders who are going through this decision to wind down or push on as well as self-awareness slash learning cycle. What advice do you have for founders who are going through that maelstrom and hurricane and tornado? It is very difficult. I think that deciding to wind down the company, to stop doing what you had spent years doing, 
and what you had spent a lot of money doing and what you had invested a lot of pe other people's money and time in doing, it is very difficult. I would advise them actually to talk to somebody who has done it before. And that was also what I did as well. It really helps to provide some perspective on the, what they're going through and within a couple of years' time or within, even within a couple of months, how it would be better that a decision was made then. I think you have a gut feel as to whether or not you should continue striving on something, whether it's going to continue working out. And I would say, listen to your gut on something like that. And I think the problem for a lot of founders is that there's not a lot of people to talk to. Maybe there's co-founder conflict. So you can't all your solo founders, so you can't really talk to your co-founder. You can't really talk to your investors because you're winding down. And maybe your employees don't even know what's going on. How or when or where should founders talk to someone? I'm part of a couple of entrepreneurs network. And I think that uh, that has really helped. Because what we do is that we have forums, we have experience sharing with each other. And they do not give advice in a forum kind of format, but they share their experiences, which they encountered in similar kind of circumstances. So I had that kind of outlet for myself when I encountered these issues. And I also knew through my network as well of uh, founders who went through the same thing that I did. So I could reach out for other people. I think look for the same kind of network. Entrepreneurship is a very lonely journey, especially if you're a solo founder or if you're having some kind of co-founder conflict. So knowing other people who are going through the same journey as you, being able to reach out to them for advice or just have a coffee chat, I think that that's extremely helpful. From your perspective, obviously, you've seen a lot of different generations of founders. What would you say are the things that you've seen better indicators of, you say, future success, I guess, on whatever terms they set it, personal or professional, versus things that you see are less correlated or maybe even adverse to personal and professional success? This sounds like a question for a VC. If I had to answer to that, I should be doing investments. <laughs> okay, but from my perspective, I actually think it's about the market. More so than personal characteristics or whatever it is. If you have founded a business in a market that is growing, that is moving, and that you have a needle moving kind of solution in that, then even if you are an average kind of founder, as long as you can execute, you will be there, you'll be ahead. You could be an exceptional founder with an exceptional team, but if the market that you're in is just too small or it's not moving or it's shrinking, then no matter what you do, it's going to be very hard. So I do think that the market, the industry that you're in is actually more important than any kind of personal characteristics. Now, of course, there are some baseline that you cannot go below. So like things like ethics, grit, the ability to sell, those are very important. But I think that the most important factor, probably 80% of the success would boil down to which market you are in. And one interesting part about that is you made all these decisions by yourself. These are things you wouldn't do and these are things you change about the way you do it. Yet, the biggest determinant of that is not what you do, but the market. So is that contradictory? That's why it's so hard to be an entrepreneur, Jeremy, as you know. <laughs> because it's not just that the market has to be right. Even if the market's right, you still need these things to help you to succeed. You gotta do both. The market has to be great and you have to be great. You gotta do you are in VC in the VC world, so you need to have the market and you need to have the founder and the team as well. 
And if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself back then? You had a time machine. Right. Back when I was in B school, I was still fresh off the mindset of uh, being a lawyer. And I think the thing that you know with lawyers is that we're quite conservative people. We make money by being right more often than we're wrong. And um, I would tell myself at a point in time to embrace failure and rejection and to be fearless. Basically, to have courage, to, to be fearless in terms of what I'm doing. What I realized over the course of being an entrepreneur, of going out selling my own products and all that, is that 100% of the times that you do not try is 100% failure. But if you do try, maybe you have a 10% chance of success. So it's worth trying just to get a 10% chance of success. If I were to tell myself this like 10 years ago, I would have gone out to try more things, probably filled faster and probably make more progress faster as well. What's interesting is that it also feels like you've also achieved some personal success on your own front. I mean, despite obviously your kid roasting you, a stable relationship, you have a family. How do you feel about all that? Do you think you could have envisioned that 10 years ago? So Bernard, my husband and myself, we actually planned out our life on a spreadsheet. It's so unromantic. It's so consultant-like. <laughs> As I'm sure you agreed, we did plan out our life on a spreadsheet. I remember in Shanghai in a cafe, like when we decided that we were going to be together. On the family front, things have worked out as we planned. And I'm very grateful for that because it could have gone so many other ways. But at the same time, I don't take things for granted as well because you never know with life. Every single day, I do give gratitude for what I have. I make it a practice to actually write in a journal at night the three things that I'm grateful for for that day. I try to remember this like every single day. Thank you so much for sharing. I really appreciate all of that that you shared. On that note, I'd love to kind of recap the three big themes that came out from this. The first is I think really thank you for, I think, sharing what it means to, to overcome entrepreneurial failure. I think there was a lot of reflections there around what you thought being a founder was about, but also what you learned during it and the mistakes you felt like you made and also how the process came about to reflect and learn from that. And I also appreciate your honesty about how going to your second company, you've helped avoid a lot of mistakes, but you've also are starting to make new ones. So I think that was a really interesting set of advice on how to overcome the feelings and the process of failure. The second, of course, is thank you for sharing about your learnings as a second time founder. So how you think about building a business, your reflections on the market and what success means in terms of the tailwind. Lastly, thank you so much for this unexpected set of thinking around parenting as yourself, as a child learning from entrepreneurial parents and what it meant for you to eventually come back and help them with family business and define it on your own terms. But also you becoming a parent of your own and how you are modeling entrepreneurial behavior and whether you define it as successful or not but some very real insights about how you planned it with Excel and some of the micro moments that you have with your children. Thank you so much for sharing that set of reflections for other founders who are exploring parenthood or parents who are exploring being founders. No, thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. So I, I do hope your daughter gets to the age where they start to roast you as well. And then you have to tell me what they say. But before that, I'll think I'll assail them with dad jokes. Uh. <laughs> 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 All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you for listening to Brave. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please share this episode with friends and colleagues. Sign up at www.jeremyao.com to discuss this episode with other community members in our forum. Stay well and stay brave.